This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bors and Isabel Hardman. So Katie, today the Cabinet is meeting, but not in Westminster, they've gone to Chequers, the Prime Minister's Great and Favour home. What are they going to be talking about? So no Cabinet this week because they were doing this away day and many Premiers have done this in the past, but I think when it was originally thought of it was supposed to be team bonding, looking ahead, trying to show momentum behind this new government. Of course, the fact that we have Nadim Zahawi attending the away day at a time when I think it's hard to find someone in Westminster who does think he's going to remain in post adds to a distraction. And then also you have Rishi Sunak who doesn't want to talk about Tory Slees. He's trying to say the party's turned a page. So the big focus is the five priorities. You have Isaac Levido. Mm-hmm. He played a big role in drafting up those five priorities. He's giving a presentation. And therefore, while it's not all about the next election, I think it's quite inevitably thinking about how you can focus minds and the path to a potential fifth term, which right now seems quite steep and narrow. But once again, it's hard to get away from the fact that the past week's been pretty bad for the government in the sense that all the things they don't want to be focusing on are the things that are the most, um, you know, they are the things that are dominating the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you write, Katie, in your cover piece this week, it's all of these baggage of the last 12 years coming back to catch up with Rishi Sunak. And Isabel, you've got an interview with Keir Starmer in this week's magazine. So having spoken to Keir and with the Conservative side thinking about their three-way into how to win the next election. You know, how much of Keir Starmer's success so far is based on the Conservatives messing up rather than anything active that he's doing? And if you were at this away day, what would you say to the Conservative Party to say, this is how you can actually win? What would Hardman's advice be? <laughs> I charge a lot for that, that sage stuff. In terms of Keir Starmer, I, he said to me in the interview that I did with him this week, that complacency is the thing he's most worried about and there's a large amount of work that still needs to be done. And I think there is a really interesting divide within Labour between the people who sort of think they've got to the top of the mountain and another cohort who are saying, no, this is a small plateau before we have to get to the really tricky bit before the summit Mm -hmm. and we can't stop and catch our breath. Actually, now is the time for us to start unveiling why voters should turn to us as opposed to just turn away from the Tories and and talk vaguely about the grass being greener on the other side. And I think some Labour MPs are just really, you know, really happy with this poll lead and haven't quite recognised that this is not a positive gain for Labour yet. It's a loss for the Conservatives. So I think that's, that's really important. And there is a potential for a shadow cabinet reshuffle, There is a growing sense amongst Keir Starmer's team and the party more widely in terms of grandees and other front benches and shadow cabinet members that there there are some members of the shadow cabinet who are lacking fire in their belly and who should be more energised and have higher profiles than they do this close to an election that the party might, for the first time in 13 years or 15 years by the time we get to the election, win. Oh, in terms of advice for the Conservatives. Well, I thought you weren't going to give it to me for free. <laughs> oh, well, I don't think that the focus on 
Zahawi is actually the issue. I think the focus is the focus of their worries should be on the fact that Sunak seems to be really just buffeted around by events at the moment and he you know he's got these priorities some of them he has a chance of meeting uh, some of them are perhaps slightly less relevant to how Brits feel about public services and so on that, than he might think but really if he's not the one who appears to be in command of these things then again it's very difficult for him to say well you know this is how I've changed the Conservative Party. He's not able to say that on t- integrity and professionalism. We're not sure, and he's not sure, whether he'll be able to say that on his priorities that he has said to the voters that you can you know, judge us with, with no trickery or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Katie, you mentioned earlier that you'd be hard-pressing Westminster to find someone who thinks that Zahawi will stay in role. And today his, his fate hasn't been made easier by comments from the chief executive of HMRC, Jim Harrah, at a select committee hearing. Here's what he had to say. There are no penalties uh, for innocent errors in your tax affairs. So if you, you know, if you take reasonable care but nevertheless make a mistake, whilst you will be liable for the, ta- for the tax and for interest if it's paid late, you would not be liable for a penalty. But if, you, if your error was as a result of carelessness, then legislation says that a penalty could apply in those circumstances. Yeah, Katie, so no innocent mistake would have had to pay a penalty. So the implication there is pretty clear. Yeah, I think it ruins because obviously previously we were talking about if, if, you, if you are going to have to have an agreement, pay a penalty, the category that Najim Zahawi found himself in was like the least bad of the mm. options. Mm-hmm. But what this is making very clear is that ultimately it's still the if you are in those options, you're still in a very bad place. And therefore this idea that, yes, they've been talking about it's careless around a malign intention, but it is making clear if you are in a situation where you were having to have assessment, you are already in the wrong. And, and I think that just adds to the case against him. So there's a question of when this investigation comes back and what Rishi Sunak says in response. But it just looks increasingly bad for him. And I think the fact that you have Down Street changing their messaging we saw yesterday... It just adds to the sense that this, the events are turning against Nadine Zahawi. And you have claims today, so you have reports in the Times saying Rishi Sunak is very annoyed that mm. he wasn't given all the information. And it's just not a happy picture. And I think from the Downing Street perspective, the sooner this comes to an end, the better. But given Rishi Sunak has said he wants to attach himself to process, it means that this is now a timeline, barring a decision by Nadine Zahawi, this is now a timeline which is going to be decided by the independent ethics advisor in their investigation. Isabel, do you think there are people informally and behind the scenes in government now just kind of nudging Nadim Zahawi to say, come on, Nadim, just just resign and you'll, you'll save us all the headache and you'll save us all the headlines for the next 10 days or however long the process takes? Should he just stand down? There's definitely, a, as Katie said, that there's not that many Conservative MPs who think that he's going to be here come the next election because it's a particularly difficult job as Tory chair to be doing if you are the subject of attacks from the other side over your own personal behaviour. But I don't get the sense that there's a big push for him to go prior to the conclusion of this ethics investigation. What is interesting, though, is that Downing Street yesterday suggested he might not have to quit even if he is found to have misled the Prime Minister over his tax arrangements, which I think is a loophole that they just don't (laughs) need to or shouldn't use because actually at that point, you know, why hang on to someone who has also been proven to have done this? 
Zahawi wasn't a supporter of Sunak's. There's no sort of personal loyalty there. How is Sunak going to keep saying, I am leading a government of professionalism and integrity, if that's the case, regardless of what the precedent and the rules are around the outcome of an ethics inquiry? I, I just think politically at that point, you'd have to say, no, sorry, we we have to move on from this. This is a barnacle we can scrape off the boat much more easily than some of our other manifold issues. Yeah, I, I just don't think Downing Street are going to stick by Nadim Zahawi. I could be surprised here, but I think all he just look at the phrases, the choreography. Mm. It, it just does not seem to be where they are. And therefore, it's just a matter of time. And therefore, some MPs are asking, well, if that's the case, why don't you just move now? Yeah. And that's probably the sticky wicket Rishi Sunak's got him onto. But in terms of the end finale, and we could be proven wrong, but it does seem it's going in that direction. And I think the question is, can Rishi Sunak now get to a point with this away day where they move the conversation back onto policy issues, onto the five priorities, um, onto the other rabbit, which is effectively about the spring budget and the fact that Rishi Sunak says one of his priorities is growth, but there's a wide interpretation of what that means in terms of the short term and the medium term. And which in a way, that's probably an argument or a debate that Rishi Sunak would be more comfortable in than this one currently on Tory Slees. So if we get a resolution the next week or so, that's probably a good thing for this government because the longer this hangs over, the worse it is. And Katie, finally, we're hearing that Jacob Rees-Mogg, former cabinet minister, is going to get his own show on GB News. GB News is fast becoming a broadcast home for Tory MPs, isn't it? Yes. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg did have even, I think, a media regular slot when he was a cabinet minister. But after he made some comments that then blew up and he got lots in trouble and he had to drop it. So it's not surprising that Jacob Rees-Mogg wants to have a media out there. I think of all the Boris Johnson long-time loyalists, he's one which has actually been fairly helpful to the Rishi Sunak government in the sense you've heard him speaking to Boris Johnson supporters saying we actually just have to get behind Rishi Sunak we shouldn't change leader again before the next election but he obviously does have thoughts on policy I think this goes back again to the spring budget to the direction of this government which is it could still be the case that Tory MPs have a freak out about the polls which are pretty dismal and seem to be getting worse and the local elections could be a trigger for that, and there could be a Boris Johnson attempt to come back. But I do think the bigger risk for Rishi Sunak's government is more to do with Liz Truss, not because she's about to mount a comeback, but because this whole argument of Tory MPs, which is about low tax, about supply-side reform, about growth, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg are very sympathetic to that. And you can stop making those arguments about the need to move faster, say, on GB News, but also in other outlets, without calling, you know, for anything too drastic where you're accused of being disloyal mm. and I think the more these figures are starting to talk about these things the more there'll be pressure on the government to show that they are listening Isabel and Katie thanks very much and thank you very much for listening as well if you enjoy this podcast do leave us a rating or a review and why not tell your friends about it as well thanks mm-hmm. 